Amen. All right. Well, good morning. Let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three for the reading of Scripture. My name is Darren Pesnell. I have the privilege uh, as serving of pastor of this church. Uh, And if you're visiting with us this morning, I just want you to know I'm uh, considering myself to be your temporary pastor this morning, and that means I'm praying for you and praying for God to meet with you in a substantial way this morning. And so to that end, I want to invite you to listen as I read from the passage that's printed in your worship guide. It comes from uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. And kids, I want to welcome you and just remind you guys that we're happy you're here. Do invite you to listen, invite you not to talk or to get up. Uh, you may whisper a question to your parent, and if you do a good job listening and doing some of the drawings that you'll be Uh, directed to. We do have a prize for you after the service. All right, would you you all now listen with open ears as I read from this good news. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with a baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized, but to sit at my right hand or on my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you now uh, and we uh, acknowledge that as we have come in this room, as we've sung these songs or listened to them, as we've sat under the words that have just been read, I recognize that we certainly come here from all sorts of different places. Uh, Some of us are here and we are uh, in a spirit, uh, an experience of thanksgiving because our lives are going so well. Others of us have come in here and we are in a season of darkness, of depression, of sadness, of anxiety, uh, because things are a mess. Lord, some of us come in here and we are uh, believing in you, we are hopeful uh, in you. Uh, We look forward to hearing what it is that you will say to us today. 
Lord, others of us come in here and we're not sure what we believe. Uh, in fact, some of us are here and we don't believe in you. We think that uh, the words that have just been read are not historical, they're not true. Uh, we're not sure if you're real. And Lord, I pray, therefore, whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are here uh, in joy or in sadness, whether we are here believing in you or experiencing profound doubts about you, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that every single one of us comes here ultimately the same. Uh, we've all come to hear from you, to be changed by you, to know you. We all come with an overwhelming need for these things, and I pray that you would open our eyes and give us grace to see how you have addressed these needs in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Great to be with you. We are continuing our uh, sermon series on the Gospel of Mark that we're calling Immediately, The Urgent Mission of Jesus Christ. And uh, for those of you who've been around a while, you probably heard me say this before, but if, if you're new here, you haven't. And um, what I want to share with you is an unexpected controversy that our church started when we first were established, okay? I do not, I do not like controversy, Right? I'm, I'm an introvert, and I, um, I try to stay, avoid it as much as possible. When we started this church, this church was controversial in a way that I did not expect. I thought we would uh, have other controversies besides this one, but lo and behold, the Lord, in his wisdom, decided that Ironworks would be controversial. And you know why that is? Because we have a five-minute break service. <laughs> I remember meeting with someone and saying, you know, we're thinking of what church to go to, but you know that break. Oh, I don't like that break. And I, I was, you know, I was not expecting that. <laughs> and so I uh, began to understand that uh, for many of us, uh, the five-minute break can be the most stressful time of our Sundays, right? It can be, for, for, for some of you, it is the most, or it was at least, the most stressful time of your Sundays. And why is that? Because in the five-minute break, you know, you're in, encouraged to say hello to someone you don't know, and in those few seconds, you have to figure out who you are, right? Hi, my name is Darren, and let me tell you about all my problems. Don't do that. <laughs> um, you have to decide who you are, and I wonder if any of you have had this experience, uh, perhaps on the other side. Have you ever met someone, perhaps in our very own five-minute break, and then you've gotten to know them over time. And then you've realized that how you sized them up in the first 30 seconds of your interaction with them actually was fairly inaccurate, right? Perhaps you thought someone you know, was very full of themselves and very confident and had no problems and then you became friends over time and they opened up to you and they said, hey, you know, I struggle with all these things and you became close and you began to share your burdens with them and you realized, wow, I was completely wrong the first time that I met this person. I've had that happen a whole bunch of times, and I hope that you have as well. Well, here's the question that I want to ask of you this morning, okay? Is it possible that just as you size people up in the first 30 seconds, and then over time you come to realize that you had completely misjudged them, right, that you completely sized them up wrong, is it possible that you have done the very same thing with God? Is it possible that in your experience right now, that perhaps today, in the scriptures, that Jesus would say to you, look, you've sized me up wrong. You, you think of me 
differently than I actually am. I want to encourage you to be open to that today because I think that perhaps for some of you, he might just do that very thing. He might just show you that you've sized him up wrong and that he's different than who you think that he is. What I want to do is I want to walk through this passage, this interaction between Jesus Christ and his disciples, uh, and try to discern this question, who is Christ really? The passage surrounds a very appropriate topic for Christmas, kids, and that is this, right? In this story, kids, one of Jesus's, two of Jesus' closest followers, they come to him, and you know what they say? They say, give us whatever we want, <laughs> right? It's Christmas. It's the Christmas passage here in our, our uh, sermon, right? It is, teacher, we want you to give us whatever we want. And by the way, kids, you know what's even crazier about this? doesn't say it in Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel. It includes a little extra detail. You know what that is? All right, these are grown men. You know, they're probably my age, grown men. They've been walking with Jesus, and they say to him, we want you to give us whatever we want. If you read in Matthew's gospel, there's another detail. You know what that is? Well, they get their mom to help. <laughs> they get their mom to help. And you know what it says? It says that she gets on her knees and she begs Jesus to give them whatever they want. True story. Okay, so what I want you to do is, I'm gonna help your parents out here, your welcome parents. Kids, what I want you to do is draw a Christmas tree with presents around it. And by the way, our featured artist for today is Isaac Schaefer. Is Isaac here? Where's Isaac? Where is he? There he is, stand up, Isaac. So tell him, give him thanks for that after the service. He's doing a great job. So I want you to draw a Christmas tree with presents around it. And then what I want you to do is off to the side, I want you to write down a couple specific presents that you want. Parents, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. So this is the interaction. So the, uh, Jesus in verse 32, all right, Jesus in 30, verse 32 is walking ahead of his disciples. Now, I do this all the time because I am a Christian right? I'm seeking to follow Jesus and the, the way he conducts his life. And so when my wife and I walk, we live in Phoenixville, we like to walk to Iron Hill and to Sedona, and every single time we walk together, she has to tell me about 10 times to slow down, okay? Because I am a New York City speedwalker, right? I'm a power walker. I lived in New York for four years and grew up in New Jersey, and I just, it's in my blood. I cannot walk slowly. I don't possess the ability. I speedwalk all the time, okay? Now, this was not, apparently, this was not normal for the Lord Jesus, right? It, the way we know that, it says that he was walking ahead of them. He was power walking, right? And it was frightening them. Do you see that in the passage? Let's look at that. It says, um, they were amazed, and this is verse 32, and those who followed were afraid. So something is off here, right? They, they would journey by foot. That was normal for them. But in this particular case, the way that Jesus was conducting himself was making his disciples afraid. And it should have, because what happens is in verse 33, he brings close to him. He takes the 12, it says. It's verse 32, taking the 12 again. He brings them close and he says, look, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles, they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and after three days, he will rise. 
Right, so Jesus is, and by the way, this is the third time in Mark's gospel that he actually communicates this to him. Right, so he is on his way to his own execution, and he's informing his followers of this, and, and so it's all so surprising, right, if, if, if your teacher said that to you, right, if your teacher said to you, look, this is where we're going, this is what we are doing, right, I wonder how many of you, your very next move would be to get your mom to come with you and to say, you know, in light of that, we want you to give us whatever we want, right? What is going on here? What, what? I mean, <laughs> talk about timing, right? Very strange, but uh, James and John come, Mark and Matthew tells us that their mom is with them, and they said to him, teacher, we want you to do uh, whatever you ask of us, right? They are begging for power, and, you know, I was trying to figure this out. I thought, okay, are they asking him this because he's just told them that he's going to rise from the dead and they're believing that? And so they're expecting him to become king and they're, you know, jockeying for position, right? And, you know, it's, I, um, I have not worked in politics, but I worked around politicians, right? Um, so I was in, involved with a little bit of that in New York City, and it's just amazing to watch all of these people jockey for positions, okay? And, and by the way, just as an aside, I did have the privilege of working for Mike Bloomberg for a little bit, so if you want to know the real deal on him, you can ask me later. Um, but I was there uh, in, in IT when he was in office. Um, but, you know, you watch all of these deputies, and that's what's the most fascinating thing to me. I never got close to the candidates themselves, of course, but you watch all their deputies, and they are just lusting for positions, right? What will I run? I want to run the State Department, right? I want to run this agency. I want to run transportation. Um, and it seems like that's happening here in our passage. Okay, these guys are jockeying for position. They've probably been planning this big ask for some time. And, you know, as I was pondering this question, you know, why, why are they asking now? Is it because they believe him? Right? I don't think that's the case. And the reason is, is because when Jesus does, in fact, rise from the dead, all of the men don't believe. It's only the, the women see him, and they go tell the men, and, and the men are like, no, can't, can't be. Right? They're very slow to believe that he's risen from the dead. So I really don't think that is the case. And, in fact, what I think is the case, friends, is that they were so obsessed with what they wanted that they were unable to listen to Jesus. Okay, they were so obsessed with what they were lusting after, this power position, this desire, that they could not even listen to Jesus as he's laying out for them the most important words of his whole life. Right? As he's, he's opening his soul to them, they are so distracted by the things that they want that they can't even listen to him. Right? And friends, I just want to tell you that uh, in my own experience, uh, both personally as I've walked with God and as I've walked uh, with you as you've walked with God, I want to tell you that this is a, sadly, kind of a normal experience in the life of a Christian. Right? Part of the problem with desiring things so much, it's called, the Bible calls it coveting or lusting, part of the problem with that is that it makes you unable to listen to Jesus, right? You have a very hard time listening to him when your mind is so focused on something that you want, right, that you miss what he's actually saying. I think that's what happened here for these friends, for these uh, disciples. 
But what's really fascinating is how Jesus responds to them, right? How would you respond to someone that you just told of your coming execution and they responded to you in this way, right? How would you respond? Probably different than he did, I would think. Kids, what I want you to do now, let's move on to our next drawing. I want you to draw three thrones, okay? So three uh, thrones that kings sit on. I want you to draw one big one in the center and two smaller ones, one on each side, because that is what these folks are asking for. So how does Jesus respond to this very audacious question? Well, let's look at it in verse 38. It says this, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking, right? You do not know what you are asking. And friends, I just want to tell you one pastoral moment here, right? It goes along with this here these folks are, they, they are absolutely convinced that what they want is, are these positions, these positions of power, these offices, they are, they have very well orchestrated this big ask, they've enlisted even, you know, the help of their mother, and they ask Jesus, say, Jesus, we want this for you, and what does he say to them? You do not know what you are asking. Now, friends, I want to ask you personally to consider that this might actually be true for you in your prayers now or sometime in the past. How many of you have been praying for something for a very long time? Right? How many of you have prayed for something that's not happened and you're left with the question, why? Or uh, is God real because this is not happening? Well, it could be that he's waiting, right? It could be that he's saying, look, not right now, right? But it also could be that he's saying to you this morning, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know the things that you're asking for. You're completely confused uh, as to your request. That was the case with these disciples, and we'll see that play out a little bit here. Look at what he says to them next. He says, verse 38, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am about to be baptized. Now, that's a very peculiar response, right? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Now, what is he talking about? Well, I want you to try to put yourself in the position of these men, right? And their mom, okay? Right? Put yourself in their position. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink. What have they just asked him? We want to sit on your right and on your left, right? Perhaps they're thinking, oh, he wants us to be the cupbearer. You know, the kings have cupbearers, right? So if you were a king, what would happen is you would have someone drink the wine, right, and confirm that it's not, that it doesn't have poison in it, basically, because you're still alive. And so then once you drank it and confirmed that it was fine, then the king would drink it. I wonder, perhaps, perhaps that's in their mind. They're thinking, Oh, yeah, that's, that's going to be our job? That's the requirement for these positions? No problem. We're on it. <laughs> We're happy to drink the cup that you drink, right? Uh, and this question of baptism, I'm not sure what was in their minds for that. You know, Jesus himself was baptized by John, of course. Perhaps in their minds, there's another baptism that's going to be required for folks uh, that are going to be in this spe specific position. And so they say, Master, yes, we are able we are ready to do this. We are up for the job, right? And uh, of course, Jesus had said to them, you don't know 
what you're doing, and the reason is because the scripture will bear out that the cup that Jesus is referring to here is not the cup, right, of a king's wine, but the cup is actually an Old Testament reference to the very wrath of God poured out upon the sin of this world, right? And so when Jesus talks about his cup, right, you know what, I'm, you know what he's talking about when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be arrested, he is on his face sweating blood literally before God and he says, oh Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Take it. Right? What is he talking about then? He's talking about the experience of the cross. Right? These disciples, I believe, had absolutely no idea that that is what he was saying at that time. I think it became clear to them over time. And so he's looking at them and he's saying, you want these positions? Okay. Are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? Are you able to be baptized with a baptism that I am to be baptized with. And friends, what Jesus is doing in this passage here and what he's doing, I believe, for you today is he's revealing who he is. He's correcting the way that we have sized him up in our minds as he's saying, look, the thrones of this world, the power of this world, Right, is not a product of the right politicking, but it is the product of being willing to suffer for others. Right, you want power? Here's your cup first. Right, and friends, I'll tell you that this has become a huge issue in American culture, by the way, and I think that we're beginning to really see kind of the product of it. You see, God's plan for the influence of Christians. And we see this at Ironworks in Phoenixville. I think that uh, we're going to see it more and more on the national stage as well. But God's design for influence, if you want to have influence in this world politically, if you want to have influence with your friends, if you want to have influence in your work, the way that a Christian goes about doing that, becoming a woman of influence or a man of influence, is not through the right politicking, but it's through sacrifice. It's through service, right? And so Ironworks, we've, we've uh, by God's grace and by his power, we've uh, been able to receive a, a good reputation with many of those in power here in our town, both uh, investors, uh, political uh, elected leaders, uh, folks that run institutions such as Renaissance Academy. We've been able, by God's grace, to receive influence in those relationships. And it's not because we made the right donations, Right? It's not because we um, we're, you know, are, are savvy politicians, but it is because we have chosen to identify ourselves as the servants of Phoenixville. Right? It's in our mission statement. We are here to serve this city. And in the same way, I think that what we've seen nationally is we've seen a profound confusion nationally where the, the Christian platform has said that we want to influence this culture not through service, but through attaining raw power. And friends, I just want to tell you, it is not working out well for us nationally. It is not going well for us. We are losing profoundly. But the Christian influences uh, this world through service. 
right? And I'll tell you, just as, a, just as an aside, if you want to influence your spouse, right? I know many of you want to influence your spouse. You come to me and you, you share this in great detail, right? You want to influence your spouse, right? I, same thing that I say to everyone is figure out how to serve them. Take on the identity of a servant, right? Be more interested in their needs than your needs, and you will find that you will attain influence that you did not previously have, right? But what's especially interesting here is that Jesus will identify himself in this way, right? For in the closing verse, he says, look, if you want to be great, you must become servant of all. Why? Because the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve. And you see what Jesus is doing here? He's effectively referencing Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, where it says this. It says, the Christ existed in the form of God. Think about that. He existed in the form of God. He had the identity of God, right? That's Trinitarian theology. And he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, right? And here what what he's doing is he's correcting our uh, misunderstanding of him, and he's saying, look, you want to know who God is, right? And if you're here today, you don't believe as we do, and you're thinking, oh, who is this God? What is all this about? You know, he's just up there and trying to give me rules and to control my life and to take away the simple pleasures of this world. Well, you know who he is? He's a servant. That's what it says. It said the Christ came not to be served, but to serve even to the point of giving his life as a ransom for many. And friends, we learn from the scriptures that uh, all who are created by God, right? If you've been created by God, which is everything in this world, right? That you have been created with the ability to serve and with a calling to serve. So even all the way back in Genesis chapter two, right? Before sin enters the world, God forms the man out of the dust of the ground. He forms the woman out of the rib of the man and he gives them a calling to take care of his creation, right? Work the garden and take care of it. Fill the earth, subdue it, right? All the way back at the very beginning of creation, there is a mandate to serve, right? And uh, we understand from uh, the New Testament in specific that God has gifted every single one of you, right, with the ability to serve in ways that are unique. Right? So some of you are saying, look, I'm an introvert, Darren. Right? I am too, by the way. I just fake it really well. Um, you're, I'm an introvert. I don't want to be up front. I just want to be you know, in the back, making coffee, you know, setting things up, and, and serving in that way. And, and I say, well, that's because God created you that way. That's because he made you that way. And your gift, though it is behind the scenes, is very powerful right? It is very powerful and arguably in some cases more powerful than those, who, those of us who stand up front, right? Others of you are saying, no, you know, my gift is um, I enjoy leading things and leading people and casting vision and executing on strategy. And I say, well, that's because God made you that way, 
right? He made you that way. And part of my job as your pastor is to help you discern how is it that God has gifted you to serve? How has he gifted you to serve? It, it looks different across the board, right? But I'll tell you this, that if you want to thrive as a Christian, right, if you want to thrive as a Christian, one of the requirements of that is to figure out the answer to that question, God, how have you made me? How have you designed me? And how are you calling me to serve? And if you do that, and you do it with a good balance, you don't burn out, right? We don't like that. But if you serve with a, a right and good balance, I believe, and I have seen it happen time and again, that your joy will deepen in God, that you will thrive spiritually. And likewise, you know, I've seen this happen too. You know, you get burnt out and you're, uh, you don't serve uh, ever again, for example, right? I've seen that happen. And, and when I see that happen, right, it, it doesn't end well. You know, sabbaticals are good for a time. I've taken one. We've had lots of folks take them. They're great. I definitely believe in that. Um, but they come to an end, right? And so if you're here and, you know, you're not, you're not using the gifts that God has given you, right? I'll just tell you, you're not going to thrive in his kingdom, right? Your joy is not going to be where I long for it to be as is my mission. And that is because God has created you to serve. He has gifted you to serve. You know, Jesus absolutely shocked his disciples. I think, you know, what I'm saying became absolute high definition, right? If you read in John's gospel, chapter 13, because Jesus is now getting very close to his passion. He's getting very close to the cross. And what he does, he shocks his disciples as he invites them around himself. It says that he takes off his outer garment. He strips it around himself. He gets down on the ground and he begins to wash their feet, which would have been considered one of the most absolute humiliating tasks in all of that culture at that time. So utterly shocked the disciples that Peter said, no, I will not let you, right? I will not allow you to do that to me. And Jesus says, well, if you don't, you'll have no part of me. But Jesus revealed himself in those moments as a servant, right? He says, I have come to serve you. That is who I am. And of course, the greatest act of his service would be uh, what we're going to celebrate here in this table as he becomes a servant of Philippians 2 says, becoming obedient even to the point of death, even to the point of death on a cross. And kids, what I want you to do is I want you to draw these thrones. Uh, you have these thrones. I want you to do is draw yourself serving next to them. Because what Jesus is saying is the positions of authority in my kingdom come not through the right negotiating, but they come through service. So what I want you to do is draw yourself serving, perhaps sweeping a floor, caring for a sick friend, comforting someone who is sad, and you, you can kind of add your own there, but draw yourself serving in some way. And friends, what we learn is that the disciples had misunderstood, I believe, what cup Jesus was talking about. Because as they were thinking of a cup at a banquet, as they were thinking of the cup that would be held by the king, what they didn't realize at that time is that the cup Jesus was referring to was the cup of poison. It was the cup that would be poured out on the cross as he would absorb their sin. And so when he says to them, yes, you will be, you will drink the cup, you will be baptized with the baptism, I believe what he was saying to them is, yes, you will have the king's cup because I will purchase it for you. Through my service, I will let that cup be 
yours. You will be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with because I'm going to make you righteous. I'm going to bring you in. And that is what he does for us, friends. He brings us in by his service so that all of our sins are forgiven, so that all of our unrighteousness is carried away, so that though we have sinned in our mind, in our words, in our actions, so we have left all sorts of things undone as we have neglected the poor, as we have lived self-obsessed lives, he says to you this morning, I will absorb those things. I will change you. I will make you righteous before me so that you can go out and serve in newness of life. And I hope and pray that we would do that together. Let's close in prayer.